0: Well, welcome to Knowledge Cast by Ideals, presented by the Ideals Foundation. I'm Jack Williams, the founder of uh, Ideals, and we're excited to have you with us for our first season of podcasts. You can go to my personal website, jackwwilliams.com, and hit the podcast button and view the list of our guests for our first season. But today, we got a special guest with us today, and that's Vance Bell. Vance is currently the executive chairman of, of Shaw Industries in Dalton, Georgia. And, Those of you don't know, Shaw is a $6.5 billion company that's focused primarily in the flooring industry, but now they're also into the synthetic turf. Vance uh, served as CEO for 16 years before just recently uh, moving over into the executive chairman position. Vance uh, is a graduate of Georgia Tech, played football there at at Tech. Uh, He's also extremely active in the, the Dalton community and has served on Numerous boards, uh, including our Ideals Foundation Board. Also, have to throw in there. Vance is probably my role model uh, for for staying in shape. Now, I know he's just coming off some shoulder some shoulder surgery, so he's probably not feeling that great now. But uh, uh, Vance is just uh, it's a privilege to uh, have you with us today. Jack, thank you.
1: I look forward to the conversation.
0: Well, you had kind of a unique opportunity to work your way up through Shaw uh, after college, after a short two-year stint with uh, West Point Pepperell. And how did that type of career path benefit you as you took on other leadership roles? By that, I mean, getting exposed to, you know, the different areas of the business.
1: Right, well, I was fortunate uh, that the company I joined uh, was in a fast-growing industry at the time. Uh, So it really presented plenty of opportunities you know, for advancements uh, within the company. Uh, and it was obvious to me that this was a place that I should stay, uh, that there was uh, a lot of future here. Uh, I really never considered going to another company or really branching out uh, into a different career path because of all the, all the opportunity that we had here and, and just the growth of the company. Uh, allowed me to have a lot of different jobs and a lot of different responsibilities over time. And it was really able to build that breadth of experience and skills and knowledge that some people get going from different jobs, different companies as they're trying to build their career. Uh, But I was, again, fortunate to be at the right place at the right time to be able to do that kind of career advancement with one company
0: we talk a lot about um, the importance of mentoring in our in our program and when you started at shaw did you intentionally seek out a mentor during your early days or did somebody take a, a special interest in your development
1: well, I didn't seek out a mentor. I probably wasn't smart enough to think about that at the time. But that would have been a smart thing to do. <laughs> but I, I worked very hard, and I just tried to make sure that I contributed uh, and that people recognized maybe those those contributions. But I do think a mentor can be very important, and and I encourage people to seek to seek out mentors today. Uh, and you know, I look back on it. I probably had several mentors, and I really didn't know it uh, at the time. Uh, again, I was fortunate. I joined the company, as you said, two years out of college, uh, but came in a year or two before we had another or a bigger wave of other young sales and management trainees that came into the company. So I think I was almost looked upon as the more experienced or the senior statement, uh, statesman of what was known as the core, uh, back core back then, kind of known <laughs> within the company and known within the industry. As Shaw's Kitty Corps, uh, so maybe I had some opportunities because I was a year or two ahead of that wave. I'd already built some experience, uh, and that probably helped me to a certain degree in people looking at me to kind of help organize and lead maybe this next wave, next generation of of people that were coming in.
0: Well, you had also the the Shaw family there, which uh, you know they lay... Left quite a legacy, both uh, personal, uh, community, and, and in business. And, and it's always great to come in with, with that type, type of leadership you know that you can right. observe and, and, and watch how they do things. Um, having spent time with you and, and several of your key executives, both past and, and present, uh, it was pretty clear to me that that Shaw has created a very unique culture. How would you describe that culture and, and how did it develop over time?
1: Well, um, I think the culture was based on a, on what I always termed a starting point as a respect for the individual. Uh, and it really goes back to the golden rule uh, that we want to treat others as you would like to be treated. And I think that was kind of foundational within within the company. And then we had our values of honesty and integrity and hard work and that's what the company was kind of built upon but you know for that first 25 or 30 years uh we basically had kind of one man rule and so the culture the 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 of core and the collaboration were pretty good but you know we were as, as time went on and the business became more complex uh we were a little risk averse As an organization we were probably too compliant uh, and not really creative as an organization so uh, we really kept that foundation of respect for the individual and focus on the customer and honesty and integrity and we started building out over the last 15 years or so um, uh, uh, more uh, customer centric centricity that we call it customer experience We have an inclusive approach uh, in terms of our talent and our organization. Uh, We're more team oriented, we're more collaborative, and I think we're more innovative. Uh, And I think people that know Shaw as you kind of referenced, and certainly even in our industry and our competitors would say that our people and our culture uh, is one of our distinct competitive advantages. Uh, And we work on it constantly. Uh, it's a constant process, so we took a foundation that we had, and we tried to build upon it to really modernize it, and and bring in that inclusivity and collaboration uh, and innovation character that we really
0: needed. Well, culture can clearly be a big differentiator, both positive and negative, for for companies. Well, you, Shaw, was was not exempt to, to the downturn that hit our economy in the mid to late 2000s. And you seem to have weathered that storm in an industry that was just totally devastated. As CEO, what do you feel were the key things that you and Shaw did to be able to to accomplish that?
1: Yeah, well, as you say, it was a devastating period of time for the industry.
0: Uh, uh, Not
1: only us, but everyone in the industry suffered about a 40% decline in volume almost overnight so there were a lot of tough decisions that we had to make around plant closings and layoffs and i think the things that we did to get our people and our company through that in in fairly good shape really uh, uh oriented itself around communications i mean first of all we just over communicated to the entire workforce we kept them informed. Uh, we did a lot of town halls. We did a lot of what we called management lunches, where we would go into facilities, have lunch with the entire team, the people on the floor, and do Q and A and just expose ourselves uh, uh, to answer their questions and to talk them through the issues that were that were going on. Um, I think secondly, we kept the organization focused on the long term. We knew we we're going to have short term pain we told people we were gonna have short-term pain, but that we would survive and that our decisions would really strengthen the company and we'd still have a great business after this difficult time is over. And then I think the last thing we did uh, is, is, is we took ownership of the decisions uh, and the difficult actions that we had to take. And we told people clearly because it was the case, no one at Berkshire Hathaway no one outside of the company, no one outside of our management team were pulling the strings and making the decisions. All of the tough decisions that we made were were completely made by the management team here locally. And we owned it and we were accountable for it and we were gonna be transparent about it uh, with our people. So I think that those those two or three points of communication and keeping people involved And what was amazing to me, within the number of layoffs we had, and just the devastation of the business, our associate engagement numbers were extremely high throughout all that period of time. It really was amazing uh, that we kept people together and we kept them focused on the long-term, even though it was a very painful period of time.
0: That's that's amazing. And I'm a big proponent of communication. I think that's the, biggest problem that most companies still deal with uh, and obviously you give that credit to uh, working you through that situation and i applaud the way that you handled that you know you you were ceo there for uh 16 years Was, was that the biggest challenge you faced as ceo or was there something else that was equally uh difficult
1: uh, I think that was clearly the the greatest challenge I had because I came in uh, as a CEO in the mid to late 2006. And that whole debacle started about a year later. And that's uh, when you
0: said thank you a lot, right?
1: Yeah. Just, so, so for the first four or five years of that tenure, I mean, we were suffering through uh, that kind of cataclysmic uh, events in our industry. And I had not you know, uh, uh, I had to work my way through that and feel like, you know, okay, we got this and we understand it. We can make these decisions, but yeah, it's not, you know, not the best way to start, um, your, your tenure
0: there. You got about 15 years experience in three years, didn't you?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, I, I got to ask this, uh, you know, you, Shaw was purchased by Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway company. Uh, and then five years later, you become uh, the CEO. I'm sure our audience would love to know what's it like working for Warren Buffett.
1: Well, there's a lot of books out there and there's a lot of articles about what that's like. And and I would say it's pretty much as advertised. Uh, uh, His his CEOs have a tremendous amount of autonomy, almost virtually complete autonomy, to run their businesses. In fact, he describes it as delegation to the point of abdication. and, and I can go, sometimes I could go uh, most of a year and not even talk to Warren. I uh, really not have that much communication with him. But if I needed him for some reason, he was always available, immediately available. So they let, him, let us run our businesses, obviously re, re, report our numbers and send our financials to them. Uh, but uh, even during this, this crisis that we were talking about on, on the great recession, never once, not at all did I ever have Warren or had anyone from Berkshire call up and say, hey, I think you ought to do this, or maybe y'all are not doing enough here, or, or you should go down this path. It was radio silence, which I was amazed at uh, during that kind of period of time. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting how motivating that complete trust is. And it really makes you want to do the best job possible. When, somebody, when you give somebody that trust, uh, most people are gonna really repay that trust with doing the best job they can and do, delivering the best results they can. So it's a very unique corporate model. I tell some of my friends and other large companies, public companies about the model and they just shake their head. They, they can't even comprehend uh, how you run something like that.
0: Well, you know, I also need to insert here, uh, Pat on the back for you and your management team, because part of his model is, um, uh, he buys companies with strong management teams in place. And that allows him to do, uh, create that type of, uh, relationship model. So uh, I think you guys certainly represent that as well. No, you I'm shared not- with me one day when I was in your office, uh, three things that Mr. Buffett said to you the first time or one of the first times uh, you met him and uh, you you were looking for some advice and he wasn't really giving you any. And uh, like what you just said, and, and you said, is there anything you'd like to share with us? And he gave you, if I remember correctly, three things that he told you. you remember what those were? Well, you got me on the spot here. I'm not sure I remember the three things, but but I do remember
1: uh, one very important thing and it probably got a couple of different pieces to it. Uh, and it was very simple and it was inspiring because you know Warren is not gonna tell you how to do something or as you say, go into a lot of detail to help you. Um, and you know what, as you said, we had, we, before the acquisition, we had been a pretty large public company. We knew how the corporate world worked. You know, we were very corporate in nature, We, you know, on Wall Street, uh, uh, public stock and all of that, but because of that, you know, sometimes we could get short term focused. Uh, But his message to me at the end of the meeting I had with him the first time uh, was, I want you to run the business as if your family owned all of it and you were going to pass it down in your family for 100 years. And it was pretty clear to me at that point
0: how we wanted to run the company. I think you also mentioned something about, uh, he said, but if you're interested, if you're looking at acquisitions of $30 million or greater, you might want to give me a call. I'm pretty good at that or yeah. something that. Something <laughs> well, <you> yeah, <laughs> it,
1: certainly uh, uh, Berkshire and Buffett uh, excel at capital allocation. You know, that's really what they do. So yeah, they they set a number. It's a little bit more than that these days, but you know, it's uh, if if you got an acquisition in particular, then they like to look at it because they look they look at hundreds of opportunities. So they do know how to look at them, and I, I've certainly learned a lot uh, in terms of um, uh, how they look at things and evaluate things. So learned a lot from that standpoint.
0: Well, I tell you, I bet your I bet your buddy's in the public world. <clears throat> Would love to have that type of game plan instead of what they have to deal with. Um, you, uh, you know, you're you're part of a six billion dollar company. You've talked about the culture. You've talked about working with, you know, uh, Mr. Buffett. But what's the toughest part of leading an organization of you know that size? That's just a, a, a just an unbelievably large company in today's world and and what what's the toughest part of leading that type of organization, that size of organization? And also what's the most rewarding part?
1: Right. Well, I think there's a common answer to both of your questions there. Uh, and it's all about people. It all has to do with people, uh, you know, building talent, building teams and building culture the right way is a constant process. And sometimes it can be really hard. And within it, there can be a lot of, again, tough decisions that you make about people, about their roles, about getting them into the right seats. Are they contributing in the right way? Do they have the right values? Uh, Are they they, uh, perpetuating the culture? And sometimes you have to make tough decisions around that uh, in terms of uh, uh, who is gonna be your your team and what roles they're gonna play. Uh, But conversely, the rewarding part Is then watching those teams and watching those people succeed uh, and to win and uh, celebrate the wins with the team. So the hardest thing in business to me is always people. If you get the people right, if you get the talent right, if you get the right people in the right seats, business gets easy. If you can't do that or you don't do that, business can be very hard.
0: Speaking about people, uh, we got just a little bit of time left, but I don't want to. Uh, Leave without asking this question because it ties into that. When you're evaluating people for leadership roles, what do you what do you look for? Well, we've
1: got a process, (laughs) Uh, and and we try to identify characteristics um, of our leadership. And it really starts with what our corporate imperatives are and how we want to run the business. So we look our imperatives of our leaders is that we build and empower people we catalyze innovation and change, we grow the business and we act strategically. So then we take those and we and we break them down into competencies, leadership competencies that leaders at different levels need to have. And there's sub, subgroups of those four things. Uh, so, so when we have a position open, we define, we call it targeted selection. And we define in that position, what are those defining success profiles? What competencies uh, does that person need to have the leadership competencies, whether it's around strategy, selling the vision, uh, or establishing strategic direction, or driving entrepreneurial kind of growth, or encouraging innovation and selling the vision and building the talent teams. Uh, we, We, define for each job, what, what of those things is important for this uh, position to succeed? And then we evaluate people in terms of how we measure them and they stack up against those specific competencies. And we look at their history. We look at how they have executed those kind of competencies uh, before in a previous level. Uh, and it's a very, um, I will not call it scientific, but it's a, it's a fairly rigid process to where it's not just, oh, uh, we know him or her, we think they're good guys or good people or good whatever. Like we think they're gonna fit in the job. We really look at what the, what the competency model needs to be for every position. And then we evaluate their strengths and weaknesses. And a lot of people lose opportunities because they're weak in one of those particular competencies, and then we take that person, we say, "Hey, we want to develop you here. We want to help you succeed, and we train them around that weakness so that the next time uh, they're able to uh, uh, hopefully get the position that they're that they're
0: uh, uh, aspiring to." Well, you guys have obviously put a lot of time and effort and invested in in that process and that leadership development program, and it certainly paid off for you. Um, well, Vance, uh, I know your time is valuable and I really sincerely appreciate you uh, sharing it with us today and the best success to you and Shaw and, and in your new role as executive chairman and I hope to see you this fall at some of the tech football games.
1: I look forward to that, Jack. Thank you. Uh, I think the future is very bright here at Shaw and uh, I look forward to seeing our team, how they, how they improve on what we've done in the past.
0: Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed today's time together in advance, and I want to hope that you'll encourage others to join us on our next podcast. And until then, I hope you'll make it uh, your goal to be a positive influence in the lives of others.